Hey guys, it's Scott from fxmissions.com. Just a note, I've finished the trilogy of anthologies from the forefront, and all three books are currently available on Amazon. Welcome to From the Forefront, an FX Missions podcast. Stories about courageous souls who felt the call of missions and obeyed. Hi, Scott McClellan here with your From the Forefront FX Missions podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're uh, happy today to be joined by Marcus Rose. Marcus, hello. Hello. Good evening. And good afternoon to you. <laughs> I guess we're, we're, in, we're in different time zones. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, joining us from uh, across the pond, as as we would say. You live in Berlin, correct? That's true. I live right in the middle of Berlin. Awesome. Well, as we were discussing a little bit earlier, you live in Berlin now, but you're not from Berlin. Where are you from? I grew up in southern East Germany, so close to the Bavarian Czech border, but it was East Germany when I grew up. When you grew up, it was, as they say, proverbially before the wall came down, correct? That's true. I grew up behind the Iron Curtain. I'm old. I was born 72, so I still <laughs> got it all. I was 17 when the wall came down. <laughs> well, I'm just a few years older than you, so we're young, relatively young, let's say that. In terms of the way history has changed, so much has happened in uh, our lifetimes, and especially in that context. You're the first person that I've met and talked to who grew up behind the wall. So that's thank you very much for joining us. And as we were introduced by uh, Tony Hedrick, I appreciate you taking time to join us here and be with us on the show. In in uh, additional introduction, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys are up to, what your ministry is, and and where you work? Since you ask about my background, growing up in East Germany made me, even though I come from a Christian family, made me always somebody who believed that Europe was completely unreached. I know that if I had mm-hmm. grown up in West Germany in certain areas, I would have a different feeling. Mm-hmm. But when I grew up, my parents and some of their friends, they were the only ones who not just were still part of, of a classical church, but were pretty much the only ones I knew who actually believed in Christ and gave me as a child a free option. But my parents were not strict. They know who Christ was. They believed in Jesus. Mm-hmm. They had right. they had made their own decisions, but they they gave us kids, I think at age 14, we, we were allowed to make our own decisions. We could have joined the communist youth organizations if we had wanted. Uh-huh. But their, their life example was good, so... So that's why I never wanted to uh, to join any of that stuff. Anyhow, so since you ask, that experience has definitely shaped my life. Growing up in Europe, I I already when I was 15, I started to pray and fast and started to reach out to my classmates. And up until now, I would say we are still doing the same stuff. We try to help people come to Christ. <laughs> we disciple people. Mm. And I firmly do believe that maturing Christians start spiritual families. So... We are mostly mm. house church networks, mm-hmm. not just in Germany, but all over Europe and even beyond that now. Mostly, uh, we have nothing against Sunday services, but the most churches that we start will be house churches. I see. There's so much to talk about and think about 
for me, when it comes to growing up in communist East Germany, when you started reaching out to your friends and people at school in your teens, in your mid-teens, after your fasting and prayer was getting you motivated for the gospel, was that an illegal act or, or what was the situation politically or the situation restrictively speaking when you started doing that? I don't even know if it was illegal. I don't think so. Uh, Germany officially, East Germany officially had freedom of religion. Okay. The first couple of guys from my class and, and one year younger, when they came to Christ, the society around us didn't notice that in the beginning. Uh, there was no different change than they changed their personal behavior. Mm. But I, one of my best friends, his parents were teachers. And when, when he accepted Christ, his parents immediately said, we like Marcus, but you're not allowed to join any of his Bible study things anymore. And we don't want you to tell anybody that you believe that because you will never be able to study later. So it was more the pressure of not making career that kept people back. Mm. In the mid-80s, East Germany was pretty much breaking down already. So there was not that strict a system anymore. Ah, I see. So it was more if you're verbal and expressive and forthright about your faith in Christ, your potential for studies, career, advancement in that way would be limited. And that was the perspective of his parents. And that was definitely true. I could have never gone to university if, if the wall hadn't opened. Wow. I'm so curious about that, but I'm not sure we'd have time to unpack it sufficiently if we dug really in there. But I'm fascinated in that. And the youth organizations, the youth political organizations of the parties that were in place at the time, I would guess, by contrast, acting as launching pads for people to be involved in careers or study or some kind of work pursuit or professional pursuit that they were interested in. Is that also true? That is definitely true. But it's more like it created a very hypocritical society. Very few people believed in communism, but everybody participated in certain ceremonies and uh, were a member in, there was a diverse range of political organizations and people just joined in because that's what they believed they had to do. So it was more, uh, especially in the years that we're talking about, right. maybe it was different at other times, but at that time, it was more of an expediency or uh, something that was necessary to get to where you wanted to get to or to do the things that you were hoping to do. You had to have some affiliation with these organizations. Yeah, that is well put. Okay. Well, that, that's fascinating to me, and it helps me recognize some other things that I've seen around the world <laughs> that I didn't have the framework of history to understand. So that's we work in some places with uh, similar sentiments to what you're describing. So thanks for sharing that. Going forward or transitioning here a little bit, in the time that you were growing up, you were coming to active expression of your faith in Christ, you were fasting and prayer, you're reaching out to your schoolmates. And then in the next 10 years or so, you had some transition. I think you were you lived abroad for a while, if I remember correctly. What do you want to talk about when it comes to that in terms of your process that you followed with the Lord 
and how you get to be where you are now. What what happened in your late teens, early 20s? I think the most amazing time was actually when the wall came down because nobody had expected it. I remember that my dad got a letter from some Christians from West Germany about half a year, eight months before the wall opened. And they said, oh, we prayed together and we had a vision that the wall would open up very, very soon, probably this year or next year, and Germany would finally be reunified. And I have to admit, me and my dad, I was 16, 17, we were just sitting there and thinking, come on, you can only believe something like that if you grow up in the West. But actually, when it happened, when it happened for about two to three years, everything was possible. And now, um, being in different Eastern European countries, I know that that's the experience they had there. There's certain time slots when you can when you can do amazing things because for a short while, it feels like the world is confused about what it does. So I was mm. 17, 18, 19 at that time. And together with my friends, we went to all the headmasters in the whole county and we said to them, we know that you guys don't know anymore what to teach in, in your communist lessons. We would like to come and share who Christ is and what Christians do believe. And it was amazing because they all let us in. That's how confused the whole society was. So wow. we, we could really go. Nobody told us, um, no pastors, no organization. There was nobody behind. We just went there. Mm -hmm. we, uh, we were allowed to teach about Jesus in every class. And then usually on Saturdays, we had something like a youth meeting where we invited everybody. And it was not revival. Don't get me wrong. We didn't see hundreds mm -hmm. of people come to Christ. But we saw right. hundreds of people in a formerly unreached part that heard about Christ for the first time. And we did see substantial substantial conversions at that time. And that wow. that went on for about three years. It was my high school years. I, I did not do much for my education because I was busy sharing Christ <laughs> in other schools. But anyhow, so when I, wow. that was about three years and then Germany mm -hmm. changed. And that was the first time in my life when I got really confused. The only time in my life when I got really, really confused because Mm. It felt like everything, East Germany with this, there is a system that tries to crack us and we are persevering and suddenly everything was possible and we are finding ways. And now this new West Germany comes in with the state church on one side, but also with all the, with all the free church mentality is how to make a successful church. And the things that we were doing suddenly felt, they felt weird. They felt like... Uh, I personally did not know how to do it anymore. Mm. That led to a real confusion. And then all my Christian older friends, they told me I have to go and study theology if I want to do something right. for God. And and I was a practitioner already back then. Right. I think I am pretty good with theology philosophy, but uh, at the core of what I try to do, I'm a practitioner. So, um, yes. so I got confused. And when I finally realized I'm... I'm not sure anymore what I do and not even sure anymore what I, who I am. Then I ran away. I went to the States for one year. I went to Thailand and in Thailand got, got, got me back. Mm. That was amazing. Wow. I can only appreciate it from a distance, not having had the same experience or anything similar. But to me, I can see how you would have gotten confused, especially since the fact that you were, already practicing by inspiration and having 
fruitful expression of your belief and your your following of Christ, and suddenly you're called down. Wait, 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 wait. You, you're, you're doing it wrong, or maybe you're doing it wrong. And to be sure that you're not doing it wrong, you need to go to theological school. <laughs> I can see where that would be disorienting, you know, very confusing. So the Lord took you around the world, it sounds like, to, to free you of that confusion and took you through some things that led you ultimately to Thailand and where God got a hold of you again. What happened that you want to talk about in Thailand? And how did you get from Thailand back to Germany? I was so confused at that time in my life that I got myself a non-believing girlfriend from Thailand in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. That's confusing, right? <laughs> I was in Nashville, Tennessee for one year working there and I wanted to have a girlfriend and there she was and she looked exotic and and I was very confused. So I we started a relationship and yeah. because of her, I went to Thailand and now it becomes really funny. She not being a Christian at all, she told me if I want to learn the language, I better join a Christian church than a Buddhist temple. The Christians are more honest. That's what she told me. So <laughs> I, so in in our wow. in our town there was a there was an English speaking town magazine. It had five advertisements for Christian churches, and one was the worst English I've ever read. All the other four were perfect English. So, of course, I went to the one with the worst English because I wanted to learn Thai. That was my objective right. at that time. Right. I had right. never denounced Christ. I was just lost in the whole process. Mm -hmm. At that time, if I met Christians, I usually consider them a bit naive and I would make jokes about them, not about Jesus, but about them. But if I would right. meet atheists, I also found their reasoning quite insufficient. I was making jokes about them. That's how confused I was. <laughs> so I so I went to this church with the worst English ever, and I was the very first Sunday. I was positively shocked. I think I could sense the spirit of God, but I could also sense the quality of the people in there. I didn't mm. know anything. I didn't speak Thai. I was the only white guy, but you could see there were rich people, there were poor people, educated people, young, old, uh, very normal guys, and you could see somehow. For the first time since my since my teenage years, when I did all the outreach stuff, it felt like the kingdom of God was tangible again. It mm. this is how it could look like, even if I'm an adult. And it took me actually painful twelve months for the whole relationship to stop, for me to open up again, for mm. for me to realize. I really had lost all the good things in my life, and then there was one evening when. And I heard the voice of God for a second time very, very clearly saying, I called you when you were 15. I haven't changed my mind. You had run away. And, wow. and that was so clear, that moment. There was a fear of God in my life. And the next day I told my Thai friends, I'm going to become a pastor. That was, that was how I expressed it at that time because I didn't know sure. better. Sure. And yeah. I will never forget that moment when one of the guys looked me in the eye and said, okay. I'll start training you. And they're they are like my spiritual parents up until today. They are quite old now. They never stopped. They were chess mm. musicians, but they took me under their wings. They helped me to, to clean up my life, which really needed clean up at that time. They took me along when they went out in the countryside to pioneer. They took me along when they visited 
alcoholics and business people and whatever they did, I was able to come along. And wow. up until now, they are still doing it. They they have a children's wow. home. So um, that was discipleship life. Very, very cool. He was sharing life with each other. Yes. You were integrated into each other's lives in a meaningful way. And that created an impact in your life, not just the the churchy part, if I can use that word, of life, but all of life. And that to me is powerful. It's similar to what happened to me as a young person as well. And it was it gave a, a very different result from just more of a ceremonial or some kind of meeting-centric relationship. Very, very cool. What town were you in most of the time that you were in Thailand? I was in the most missionary town in all of Southeast Asia, but without knowing it. I was in Chiang Mai in, in the <laughs> north of Thailand. I didn't know that because I didn't hang out with any of the white Christians at all. So right, I, I wasn't right. aware of that at all. And three months after I had recommitted to Christ, some of the leaders came to me and said, Marx, do you want to start? We would like you to start something like a church for non-Thai people. And even then, I didn't meet any missionary because I went to the normal places where Westerners learned Thai or meditation or got drunk mm -hmm. or got a visa. Right. So even then, I didn't meet any of the missionaries. <laughs> I only realized much later <laughs> that I'm probably in the town with the highest percentage of missionaries in all of Southeast Asia. That is fascinating. I, I've been to Chiang Mai. It was in last year i guess 2017 i believe i believe it was 17 it might have been 16 but i've got friends who are there and and working for the gospel so just very small amount of familiarity but i i enjoyed being there and and i thought that might have been where you were i didn't not sure if we'd talked about it before there's a lot of opportunity uh, no matter where you are and a lot of it not being touched i guess when when we're talking about people who are being confronted with the gospel for the first time, from what I know and what I've been told, to be Thai is to be Buddhist, culturally speaking. Yes. So it's very saturated from a Buddhist worldview or, or perspective. Is that what you confronted or is that what you experienced there? Whenever we talk about cultural religion, I never find that the philosophy behind saturates th that culture. It, it okay. rather shapes it shapes certain behavioral patterns. It shapes certain identity, but not necessarily the philosophical part. I, uh -huh. I couldn't see that. I would say that the economical circumstances, the Thai people I worked with, they were very shaping and the way they lived their families and so on. Mm. The, most, the most of my Thai friends had much less idea about Buddhism than I had. Ah, some of that was explained to me that that the penetration of the Buddhist philosophy on the Thai people is not at a great depth. It's just basically an association. It's like in the United States, it would be comparative to cultural Christianity in name. You know what I'm saying? It's not yeah. a, in many cases, that doesn't produce authentic fruit. <laughs> you know, it, it's an association more than it is a faith. 
I've started to go into Italy to do outreach and to help church planting. And besides that, the food is similarly good. I also find culturally it's it's quite similar. It's like a big blanket over a society. It doesn't say much about the individual person. Right. I can see what you mean. And I can, you know, one thing that was eerily familiar to me, I don't even know if I have words to describe this well. I haven't thought about it a ton and I haven't talked about it much at all. But something that was eerie to me about Thailand is the the temples. Of course, they're almost everywhere. That I, I was in some rural places. There were a lot of temples around. It reminded me very, very much of the church buildings in the United States. One of my favorite Thai novels is a novel about a young Buddhist abbot. Is that the English word? Uh-huh. And like the head, the head monk of a temple. Yeah. It's not written by a Christian. It's written by a Thai intellectual. And he describes how the abbot makes his temple grow by at night chopping off the head of the Buddha statue and hiding it and then miraculously reproducing the head a couple of couple of days later and saying it's a big miracle and that's why people are starting to flock to his temple and so on. So when you talk about certain religious means and how it reminds you of churches, I I will never forget that book. That was even before I recommitted to Christ. And I thought like yeah, that's that's how you can make religion work on a religious level. It has nothing to do with God, it has nothing to do with supernatural stuff, but you mm-hmm. can make it work like that. Very true. And you know, one of the things that was I don't I don't again, I don't have a like complete thoughts that have been seasoned over a long time, but what I observed was how these buildings were ornate, I mean, beautiful, very, very, very elaborately decorated, very, very pretty in lots and tons of investment of money in a culture and in a, in a place that isn't the most prosperous in the world, but not highly impoverished society, but, but not, a, not, a, not a top 10 society in the world in terms of economics, but just these elaborate buildings that... N- no one went to, and they're basically for show. That was, to me, like uh, unsettling, <laughs> very unsettling. And talking about the parallel was revealing to me in a, in a, in a way that was, yeah. it was unsettling. We'll talk more offline on that. Uh, you know, religion, and we, we didn't really sit down to talk about this necessarily, but religion, as you say, and as you talk about the book describes, it can work and it functions a certain way. We're not talking about the supernatural God. We're not talking about Christ. We're talk, I'm talking about religion works. You know, religion to me is the, an expression of man's pride. It's a prideful expression before the living God that says we have some of our own piety or righteousness, <laughs> which we don't. Yeah. But it is that prideful expression. When we, we talk about the way religion works, they all have similar ways, no matter the religion. We're not talking about Christ or the supernatural. We're not talking about the holy God. We're talking about religion. They all work in similar ways, even though they all have different labeling and they're in different, maybe in different parts of the world, but they function, the religious spirit, if I can say it that way, 
functions similarly, though in a manifold expressions and different names and titles, it works the same way. And it's, I think the more I travel, the more I realize that even though they express themselves differently, maybe the religions of man, all they have the common root that it's rooted in man, not in God or Christ. So have you noticed that? Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. M more to talk about on that at some point. Now, switching gears a little bit here, I'd like to dig into what you're doing now, what, what you're up to, what you've been doing. Maybe, as you mentioned before, you're planted a, a good number of house churches. You're working in Germany. You've been working for many years. You're also working, as you mentioned, in Italy. Where are you guys working? What are you focusing on? And how can those who are listening pray for you guys and, yeah. and for your mission? I would say we have never changed, but we have become much more diverse in recent years. When I came back to Germany in 99, I I deliberately, it's what I felt that God wanted me to do. I deliberately stayed out of the Christian circles in the first couple of years. And I deliberately went to East German traditional cultural atheists. And mostly at universities in the beginning, but not, not just at university. And from day one, I communicated, I want to see People who have not heard the gospel or are actually culturally brainwashed never to give Christianity any chance to be able to look at Jesus, look at what the Bible says and, and reconsider. And praise God, I saw people come to Christ uh, right after the first, after the first quarter that I returned to Germany and I started mm. doing it all in Berlin. I also communicated that being baptized, being born again, only makes sense if I want to grow up. And if there's an older Christian around, his responsibility is to make disciples so that those guys can make disciples. So, mm. so we were very clear right from the beginning. I didn't know a lot of things that Christians told me later that it could be dangerous if you introduce one-to-one -one discipleship and so on. But we were naive, and it was good that we were naive. I met people one-to-one. -one. I talked with them. We prayed. What you could talk in a group, that then you do it in a group. You can do outreach in a group. You can confess sin in a group. You can do all of that. But there was always an element of one-to-one -one discipleship that I hold dearly up until now because it emphasizes the individuality of each and every one of them. Hmm. And as I said earlier, I always do believe if you grow up in faith, you overcome the lies of Satan, you overcome the lies of this world, and you become stronger, and there will be other people around you come to Christ, or less mature people be drawn to you, and you start spiritual families, and they multiply. So there was no money involved. None of us was full-time. I I had my own company in Thailand. When I came back to Germany, I started to drive taxi and clean houses, believing it's only for a short while. And actually, it was until 2000, almost eight, until I went full-time because then the whole apostolic work spread to a level where the first couple of people needed to be full-time. But anyhow, so there was no money involved. We had all our normal jobs. We all got married and started kids. And there were moments in between when it slowed down the growth. But we, we always... From day one, we said we need to be able to go into every subculture, into every county in Germany, and we want to send missionaries out 
out of Germany. Germany is still compared to other countries, one of the better reached places in Europe. Mm. And so um, that was a painful prose a lot of times. You see all the miracles, you see people come to Christ, you see also people slip out again, you see people starting well and not finishing well. Right. But there was a continuous momentum in I guess since since around 2011, 12, we have been starting to pioneer into pretty much every European country now. Sometimes it's just a beginning, like a first house church. Sometimes there's on already a network of house churches. In some places now there is a something like a national vision yet uh, on how to reach out. In Germany, we we look at what we call the black holes, so the Turkish in Germany that mm. is a pretty unreached people group. There are certain parts in Germany that are structurally weak. Even if we go in and we evangelize and we're able to start a church, a lot of times we cannot keep the church because people don't find jobs and and then they have to leave and right. we have to restart the whole process. Right. But it's been an amazing journey. I, I can't tell you. Wow. You know, it's very encouraging to me to hear that the Lord took you from what was Obviously, in your early days, in the days of your teenage years, something that was naturally on board, I'm talking about from a spiritual standpoint, God had right. put something in you of himself that he wanted to emphasize, and you were doing it without knowledge, but by inspiration. It was a holy thing, but you didn't, I mean, it wasn't premeditated, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. That's it was true. just something yes. that was flowing out of you. And then to hear that you, you know, when you got back on your feet and you got sorted out there, you went back to that and you've continued to this day. That's a beautiful story and very encouraging to me for so many, on so many levels. So thank you for that. And thank you for your faithfulness and your service. Now, I've, I've been to Germany only once. It was in the earlier part of this year. I was in Cologne and that area. We traveled through Frankfurt, but we were principally in Cologne. And then in Italy, I was traveling with Tony Hedrick as yeah, our, our yeah. common friend. And he's been trying to get me to to Europe for some years. Most of my work's been in Latin America, a little bit in some of the other parts of the world. But uh, historically, I've spent a good amount of time in Latin America over about 15 years. So it was great to be there. I was really trying to understand what, if anything, the Lord had in mind for me to be there. So it was kind of a scouting trip for me and very, very important. I think I'll be back and I hope to be back every year as well. Most of what we do is short term in terms of missions. So I'll look very much forward to connecting with you as I'm passing through and maybe we can meet up in Italy as well. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. But, the food uh, is amazing, right? <laughs> it is. Everything about Italy was highly pleasant to me, as Germany was as well. Just beautiful. And I think for me, a uh, moment of confession in a group here, I had kind of a little bit of a chip on my shoulder when it came to the developed part of the world. I'm kind of like I was had some kind of negative association with not getting to the developed part of the world. But when we're talking about the developed part of the world and the unreached peoples in the developed part of the world, for us from a 
people from the United States, we don't think about it in that way. We just are wrong. We don't see it that way. We see the developed world. We think about the United States. We think about everybody here has heard the gospel, which they haven't, but a large number of, a large percentage of people have. Europe is a green field for the gospel in so many ways. Do I have that right? Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, there's so much opportunity for the gospel in Europe. I didn't, I had no idea. I think what people really like to forget is every generation has to be reached again. You have a grandparents generation that turns away from Christ and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the reasons are behind and it will lead to grandparents who are not praying with their grandchildren when they go to bed. And it's really people forget that there is a God. People forget the stories. People forget there's a different lifestyle possible. And you can have two generations. In Germany, it took two generations in the East after World War II. And there was simply no knowledge about Christ left to a level where if you ask people, why do you celebrate Easter? Even people with an intellectual background a lot of times are not able to tell you even the story. Nevertheless, wow. nevertheless, that it could mean something different. Wow. Thank you for putting it that way. I think that the last bit there that you've shared is uh, extremely important for us to keep in mind that every generation has to be one. And a lot of times one back from a previous history, maybe a vibrant history of life in Christ. I think the way that worked, as you mentioned there, with the generations who were re-educated or whatever you'd call it there in, in East Germany, that same process happens, maybe slower or maybe in some cases faster, but it ha- that process is ongoing. And if we got to gain the ground, we got to keep the ground, and we have to advance with the gospel in order for the tide to continue to rise and go forward. If we don't continue forward, the momentum is lost, and sometimes more than that. Very, very clear the way you said that. Thank you for saying so. We're coming to the end of our time here. It's been a delight. Thank you again for being here. There's a couple things I'd like to do, and I almost always do this on this podcast. One is to ask if someone wanted to find out more about what you guys are doing, or maybe someone in the general area of where you are hears this and wants to know more about you, is there a place to send them? And number two, how can we pray for you guys and your ongoing efforts? The first question is easy. There is the Hoffnung Deutschland website. Or you can probably put it under the podcast. It's uh-huh, sure. It's a German word for hope. So translated would be Hope Germany. H O F F N U N G Deutschland dot de. And there's a contact button, and people can just write. I might get it. Somebody else will get it. But we will always take care of that. Okay. On the prayer part, we have probably. It's funny because only in retrospect, I, I can see how dangerous the last two, three years were for us as, as a movement. We started in 99 with nothing. And we, that meant me and, uh, and then the first couple of guys came to Christ. And then by 2012, when we prayed, we got very clearly from God, there has to be a next major step. And for us, there was, that meant the following. We had started an annual festival where all the house churches came together. 
So I think 2000, 2013, there were already 800 people. And that was major for us. It felt like, wow, we never thought that we would ever get that far. But 2012 already, God had said when, we, when I prayed, he had said very clearly, you have to stop that by 2014. And I will never forget that because... Because in 2014, there were 1,000 people and it looked, it looked successful, especially for our part in Germany. Mm. And, and we stopped it. And we stopped it without God saying very clearly what's coming next. And mm. so we were, we were fishing blindly for probably between 2015 and 16. You can always do outreach. You can always start new churches. But when somebody asked me, what's the next major step? I didn't know. I was experimenting. Mm. And during those years, we started to say, uh, we are not a church planning movement. We are church planning movements. And looking back now, I think that, that we're really making it now, this whole switch. There are new leadership teams coming up everywhere. There is a whole new generation of leaders uh, on all areas, inside Germany and outside Germany. Now that it seems to be working, I'm quite amazed. But looking back, I think we probably were very close to uh, wrecking ourselves because we did not know we, we did not know how to do it right I, I don't i don't know where to learn it so when when you guys want to pray for us then i would like to see that process uh, we call it apostolic teams i would love to see 100 apostolic teams in the next couple of years not mm -hmm. just in germany but all over europe we have started work into mm. some of the south of the mediterranean countries yes uh, so we're I would like to see at least 100 apostolic teams, which really means self-reliant, committed to each other with a clear covenant, but they have to be able to stand on their own. And that is what my heart beats for. I can leave this planet when, when I see that happening. It's, it would be a worthwhile uh, contribution <laughs> to the kingdom of God. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we will certainly pray for that now. Thank you for sharing it so and for sharing that context. We'll get this link to your website and the show notes. H-O-F-F-N-U-N-G, D-E-U-T-S-H-L-A-N-D dot D-E. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. How do you pronounce that in German? It's very easy. Come on, you Americans. <laughs> Hoffnung Deutschland. Hoffnung Deutschland. We're yeah, we're I'm just kidding. Sadly, we're we're culturally contained so much of the time here, and I <laughs> I've been learning uh, Spanish for nearly two decades, and I'm still not there yet. But uh, thank you for sharing this. Thank you so much for your time and for what you're doing for your faithfulness to the Lord's calling. Really appreciate that. That is super encouraging to me. I look forward to uh, staying in touch and maybe we can get back on the podcast in uh, the coming months and years. And I'll look forward, possibly we can do something together when I'm in Europe next. I'll try to keep you appraised of that. Any final comments that you'd like to add Marcus? Something like famous last words? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, just just anything that, that you haven't mentioned so far that you wanted to include. I don't know who is listening, but I have to say I have, I've met all these amazing people over the years who think that their contribution is probably small, especially in countries that are more difficult or, or like seeing Italy probably didn't bring much fruit in terms of numbers. Mm -hmm. And I can just say, 
just don't care. If you know that this is the place where God has put you, you don't know what's coming out 20 years later. Mm. I'm seeing quite substantial breakthroughs in Poland now, everywhere. And I'm not the only one who's seeing it. I would say it was unexpected 10 years ago. And it is mm. just happening now. I hope wow. the same for places like Belgium and and Italy and Greece and, and Spain. And I just hope it. I don't know how wow. fast it will happen. Yes. Yeah. So stay faithful to what you're yes. to what you're called to do, even though it may seem naturally inconsequential. Just yes. uh, keep keep going. Very, very good encouragement. Thank you again for being here. I'll look forward to continue to stay in touch. As for FX Missions, I'm Scott McClellan, and thanks for listening to From the Forefront. We'll include these web links in the show notes. And thanks again, Marcus, for being here. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. I'm Scott McClelland, and until next time, have a good one. This podcast made possible through the partnership of Engaging Missions Show, bringing missions home, and encouraging you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. Find out more at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for joining us for the FX Missions podcast from the forefront. If you'd like to find out more about FX Missions, please do so at our blog, fxmissions.com. Quite a bit of content out there. We hope you enjoy it. Also, if you'd like to rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use, we would really appreciate it. And find out more about today's guest at our Facebook page. Just search for From the Forefront on Facebook. If you know of someone who should be featured on from the forefront because of their forefront missions experience or exploits, please reach out to us at info at fxmissions.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, I'm Scott McClelland, and you have a good one.